Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort from Pixelkin.org and I am joined by Brianna Wu, Head of Development at Giant Space Cat. Hello, Brianna. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> so, can I that tell was you really guys, calm for I you. know. <laughs> can I tell you guys a story? I am so relaxed this week. Like, oh I God. didn't even know how stressed I was until I start this vacation. And I'm like <laughs> walking around and I'm like, well, what's this weird feeling? I think this is happiness. Like, this is... <laughs> what is? Can you describe it for us, Bree? What does happiness yeah, feel like? Yeah, it's like it's yeah, what like, is happiness like? It's like someone tells a joke, and you just like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like all this stress of GamerGate and just everything else had really built up to the point where I was I was really just I, I I'd really been pushed to an edge, and I've had a fantastic week out here in Florida. Um, my skin is like two shades darker so i don't look like a ghost anymore or eye zombie <laughs> so i don't know i'm in a fantastic mood today that means you'll no longer be able to camouflage with the boston snowbank <laughs> that's true <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna that's a vital self-defense mechanism too you know? obviously so, for boston right right, right i was right. there man i know yeah. i know how it is have you recovered from that by the way um, I think so. I'd yeah. like to think that I have. I'm still, so? I'm still working on all the stuff that I started while I was there. But yeah, I, yeah. I just kind of imagine you like um, Jack Torrance at the end of The Shining, like in Boston, <laughs> where, where you're trapped on the way to Logan you're and you're like freezing. Yeah, yeah, that was me climbing off the plane in Seattle, crawling off the plane in Seattle. Yeah. It was Ugh. tragic. It was tragic. Don't come to Boston. It's a terrible city. I'll, I'll never come back. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'll come back for that food truck that gave me the best burrito that I've had in my life. Really? A food truck gave you a great burrito? A food truck in Boston gave... You've never had burritos in California, clearly. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I actually haven't because I usually go for enchiladas. It might have been like... It it was the third day of PAX. I was just about to leave and I had this burrito and it was the first thing I had eaten all day. (laughs) And I almost... I I was sitting next to some woman on just a shelf or whatever and I was like making tiny little noises into my burrito (laughs) like, oh God. (laughs) I, (laughs) I worry about her. Where is she now? Okay, so I have this image of like Simone walking down a street in Boston it's like covered with snow and then out of nowhere like this food truck like you know dragged by unicorns <laughs> like unicorns are dragging this this food truck that comes from the sky and it, it's glowing and then like these angelic hands reach out and hand you the burrito yes. and that's the burrito it careened down from the heavens and I wept. I, I was on my <laughs> knees. I was genuflecting and I received this burrito and now I am the chosen one. Hmm. I carry it with me still. I'm going to go find that food truck and evaluate this burrito for <laughs> You myself. can't have it. Right. I won't tell you anything about it. <laughs> what color was it? I don't remember. <laughs> Yellow. Yellow is a good burrito color. Okay. It was very cheery. I, I have happy memories of it. <laughs> Keep those memories, Simone. They're special. Yep. Highlight of packs. There's something. So, Christina, Christina Warren, senior tech analyst at Mashable. How are you doing today? I, I'm sorry. I'm good. We always have these great conversations in between me introducing Bree and me introducing you, and it's like, hmm, there is a third person here. You don't know her name. She's wonderful. I know. It's it's, it's like you hear me talking, and, and if it's for, for new listeners of the show. Like, who is this other person who's the disembodied voice? <laughs> so I'm the disembodied voice. Also well, your Chekhov's gun, Warren. really. It's like the voice that appears in the beginning will be relevant in the end of the podcast. 
<laughs> oh, Christina! So you're coming back from South by? You're coming back from South yeah. By. I was I, I was at South by Southwest for like a nanosecond, <laughs> and so I'm coming back from that. And uh, no, it was good. Uh, the brief time I was there in Austin was was good, and and the panel I was on went really well, and I had fun. And so uh, I'm still though. It was it was literally one of those things where I left from work, went to the airport Monday night, and then came back. Um, first thing Wednesday morning and went oh immediately to work. Oh, oh my so, God, Christina. Yeah. So I'm still, even though it's been a day, I'm still a little like laggard um, because I did a lot of drinking and a lot of partying in the brief time that I was in Austin. <laughs> well, of course. Um, I, well, you managed that out. at least. <laughs> well, the disappointing thing I found out, Texas, they can't serve alcohol until noon. Well, that's not really. I thought they were yeah. all about freedom. Uh, <laughs> I, that's what I thought too, yeah. and 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 I was in the hotel because our panel didn't start until like twelve thirty, and we were there be- like around eleven o'clock. And me and one of um, the girls in my panel, uh, Bianca, we were both like, "Well, let's go ahead and start drinking, right?" <laughs> like I hadn't had anything to eat yet, but I was like, "Let's just like go ahead and start do. drinking." And like you do, so I go to the bar in the hotel, and we're like, "Can we get a drink?" And they're like, "Yeah, we don't start serving until noon," and we were shocked because. I just assumed, I guess, that, you know, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't yeah. even a weekend. I mean, like in, in Georgia, they do that sort of crap like on weekends, like where you have to be in a restaurant to order booze like on a Sunday and, and they have the, the blue laws. But in Texas, like you said, Brie, I mean, I thought it was supposed to be about freedom. And I guess, I mean, I wasn't, they have weird things too. I was at this um, great Mexican restaurant, Gueros, and oh. they have this, um, which is an awesome place, and they have this um, – outdoor eating area where you can order food in like a tent area while you're waiting to get into the restaurant that's how busy the restaurant is and so I had a beer um, out there but to walk with I could take my beer back into the restaurant with me but as I walked on the sidewalk there had to be a person who had to carry my beer for me on um a oh my gosh tray, on, a, on a tray and the person had to walk behind me as I walked into the restaurant and then they were able to hand me the beer once I was in the dining area it was the most a bizarre professional thing. alcohol it, chaperone yes yes exactly it was amazing because literally going like 10 feet someone had to be walking you know the, the the 10 feet into the restaurant carrying my beer and I felt so bad because I was like this seems demeaning and odd but I mean they were just like used to it I was like oh okay um, I mean, huh. I wasn't expecting it to be as cool as uh, Louisiana or cool slash as terrible <laughs> as Louisiana, where literally they have drive through daiquiri yep. places. Yep. Have you ever guys seen those? Like literally, uh, like you can I've go... gone to a beer barn and at some point I will. Man. Okay. So the Statue of Limitations has run out. So like, <laughs> I, actually, I got my, I actually got my Photoshop skills, um, learning how to make fake IDs. Um, in the nineties oh I did. Um, I got really, really good at it. We found a blockbuster that was going out of business and we, we like, we bought a lamination machine, like a professional. Oh so I got really good at it. So like daiquiri barns and beer barns over in Louisiana, I've done that what a lot. What in the world is a daiquiri barn you drive through a barn and get a daiquiri what the it's literally Literally, a barn it's a drive through daiquiri it's a barn okay see i knew i knew that they had drive through liquor stores in texas which to me sounds like the best idea ever because you know when i go on (laughs) my wine run i don't want to go all the way into the store and walk out with my shame bottle of yellow tail i want to just drive up to yellow tail oh my god that will give you such a hangover i know i judge you i know okay (laughs) believe me okay okay yeah. 
it's I didn't mean to de- uh, derail the conversation. Sorry. About uh, that. No, yes, you're right. Sorry, no, 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 no. Right yeah. no, but I was going to say, I wasn't expecting it to be that hardcore. Now, I've actually never been through the drive through barns. I've just been through the, the drive through uh, daiquiri shops where literally they will hand you. It's even worse than the liquor stores because the liquor store, at least, it's still in a closed container. But like when you're going through a drive through daiquiri thing, you're literally driving a car through something and then they're <laughs> passing you hurricanes or frozen <laughs> drinks that you can then consume in your car. What? I mean, it's like. It's like they're, it's, they're literally encouraging drunk driving and not caring about it. Um, How is that legal? Which is amazing. Yes. I Somehow, I mean, they also have total open container laws what? in Louisiana. So you can literally walk around sloshed off your ass, uh, which is why sometimes, which is why sometimes during spring break, which coincided with uh, um, uh, Mardi Gras, you find yourself passed out on a bench and waking up next to homeless people at two o'clock in the morning. Yep. True story. Do you find yourself? Yeah. Okay. So okay. I have True I story. told you guys this story on Rocket before of how I got my first dog, Allegra? Have I told you guys this no. story? I don't think so. Okay. You tell so us. so I was down I was a freshman at the University of Mississippi. And um we all all the all the girls on my floor, we all went down to Mardi Gras and we got super drunk. I mean crazy drunk down there <laughs> at Mardi Gras. Like ridiculously, like I don't know where I am drunk. And I'm like, I feel so ridiculously hungover and I'm waking up the next morning and I'm just like my head is spinning and I'm like what's going on right now and there's this white thing sitting on my chest and it's staring at me it has these big black oh eyes God. and I'm like what what happened last night what's going on and I actually bought a dog for <gasps> the twelve hundred dollars off the street at oh, Mardi Gras no. from an alley. Oh, Apparently, no. like for some reason, like ATMs will let you like like get twelve hundred dollars out during Mardi Gras at like two no. o'clock in the morning. So Oh no. Oh, yeah. so, oh my god. That's how was I she got a good dog? dog. She was an amazing dog. She was an absolutely amazing dog. I, I love her. Nothing like that has ever happened to me. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I lost my window, the window of opportunity. <laughs> well, I mean, I yeah. was, I, I partied a lot. I partied like from 20 to 25. Clearly. It's just a, a blur. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. Clearly. I mean, that's I thought how I, I partied about hardy. TV marathons. Yeah. What were we saying, yeah, Christina? Yeah, that's true. I was going to say, I thought I partied hardy, but I never wound up with you know an animal a dog right <laughs> well, well 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 not 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 i mean i i, I might have woken up with, with with some dogs as far as men go but like never <laughs> put on bump uh no uh but no i never woke up with a pet that's that's amazing so can we clarify brie you woke up like indoors with a dog not just like on the street um, with a dog sitting on you i i'd rather not get into further All details right. about this story so. <laughs> Come on, I've got a reputation, better. Simone. What are we talking about here? Come on, I'm of a course, professional. I'm, my apologies. <laughs> oh, Christina, I have a proposal for you. The next time there's some tech conference, if there's ever a tech conference for some weird reason in New Orleans, like we will go down there and I will take. Oh, we you. have to go. We have to go. So I'm going to I'm going to get you into EDM, and there are some decent clubs down there in the French Quarter. And we are going to go yes, and we are going to, we're going to get hand grenades and we are going to get dogonk. Yep. Hand grenades. Yes. What are those? It's this amazing drink. They are actually fantastic. <laughs> oh my I God. bought pa- hand, hand grenade a mix 
actually one time when I was in New Orleans because we had such a good time with them. It's it's basically it's like this green concoction. I don't know what it is. It's it's magic and a, it's the magic is drink, what it Christina. is. Can I tell you it guys is. one really more story is. about about my crazy past in the South? So this is this is I think this is a story about leadership that I'm going to be oh, telling you guys. That's so <laughs> everyone remember that the message of this story is about leadership. leadership. So when I was, I think I was 16, um, what I did was, <laughs> oh my God, oh, I hope my parents don't hear this. Um, so <laughs> I went and got some, um, some, um, I actually pilfered some uh, stationery from my church. Fair and, enough. And what I did was I got that, and I got that on my um, '90s bubble jet laser printer, and I printed out this, uh, this, uh, this letter saying like I had been accepted to a leader, a Christian leadership <gasps> conference. <laughs> oh, brilliant! And and I sent that to my parents and some other friends' parents. And we all sent that out in the mail, and it all came there. And then our parents like got us out of school. So then, <gasps> all of us went down to. Uh, Jeff had a his parents had a cabin that was on the border of Mississippi and Louisiana. So we then skipped school for an entire week, <gasps> and we went down there, and you know we basically went over to Tropical Isle and bought like Tropical Tropical <gasps> Isle hand yes. grenade mix. Oh my so. God. It was just a bunch of teenagers, unsupervised, like boys and girls there, you know, like doing what you do at that age. And so we're at this cabin, like fishing for the entire week, being drunk for the entire week, like (laughs) eating the fish that we (laughs) cached the entire week. And like, and then like, you know, we get into a car accident while we're down there, which is a whole nother story. But, you know, we made it home and... Yeah, and my parents never found out about it. So that is a story about leadership because I took the initiative to make that happen. So you know what you just did? You just described the the plot of the movie Camp Nowhere. Really? I've never seen this or heard of that. It's a terrible, terrible movie. No, it's not a horror movie. It's a movie about a kid who they fake. They all don't want to go to lame camp, so they create this this fake camp called Camp Nowhere. They take their their parents' money and and rent a cabin in the woods and hang out. And they get Christopher Lloyd to pretend to be their camp counselor. He's like an out of work actor. Oh my god! And um, then the parents all decide they want to have a parents' day, and they all wind up showing up on the same day, so they have to stage like fifteen different camps in the same spot. Oh my god! And everything goes great until somebody who's Seeking out the uh, the 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 teacher guy who I guess apparently has been in some skirmishes with the law. It all comes <laughs> crashing down at the end. But then everybody's okay with it because they learn so much over the summer. And, 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 and <laughs> it's a really it's a really terrible movie. Um, Camp Nowhere, nineteen ninety four. I want to say it's not a good movie at all. Like that and the movie North came out like at the same time. They were both terrible. Um, but I've seen it multiple times. Um, <laughs> And rather than watching a terrible movie called Camp Nowhere, you actually lived it. I did. And I'm so jealous. Sounds better. I did a lot better. I don't know. I feel I, like that kind of initiative. I feel like it served me well in my professional career. Which I, I say so. so. Probably. I, I would say so. Yeah. I had a fake ID when I was in high school, and I certainly had some fun with laser printers and and making up fake documents, but never <laughs> anything that cool. I mean, most of my stuff was lame. It was like. To, to get into CES or E3 sort of things, like fake letterhead saying I Seriously? worked at a video game company. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, there's an idea for I, me. I made, no. <laughs> I made, like, fake press credentials to get into um, uh, C- to get into E3 the year that it was in Atlanta. Oh, my God. 
You're amazing. Sure. <laughs> I, I did not have a fake. I've never had a fake ID at any point. Um, and I, I have. I have no stories. <laughs> <laughs> have you lived I'll a life think... of pure good, Simone? I, 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 I was the good child in my family. My brother's the bad one. I'm, I'm the good girl. <laughs> I did use my fake ID to get into some raves. I won't lie about that. But, oh but gosh. for the most part, it was like getting. It was you know to get into like E3 and things like that. That's so badass. Is that what I Jessica Chobot so did too? I don't know, actually. I I remember a story oh. about her getting into E3. It was kind of the same the same story. So, anyway. <laughs> Basically, badass women get shit done. That's right. That's right. With fake IDs. That, with fake IDs. That's the and then they get real ones, today. and then and then they, they get real have ones. Successful careers, which is a good lead-in to our <laughs> first topic. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So yeah, let's make it happen. Simone, do you want to get started today? So today we wanted to talk about the Ellen Pow trial, which has been going on for a little while now, and most recently, I think they talked about. How she filed the lawsuit against Kleiner Perkins for sexual harassment. And immediately after that, um, one of her co-workers began taking notes, negative notes about her in their meetings, which he said had been going on for a long time, since the previous year. And recently they addressed that in the trial, what the um, Kleiner Perkins actual complaints about Ellen Powell were. And... um, this has been a huge case for women in tech, um, or women in business, really, just all over. Ellen Powell said that she was held back from promotions because of gender discrimination. And Kleiner Perkins is saying that, no, it's not gender discrimination. It's her personality. She didn't show the initiative that they wanted. And she wasn't, quote unquote, a team player, um, it, as a junior partner should be. And that's basically where we're at. This is, I mean, something that I think affects us all, the outcome of the case, no matter what it is. Do you guys have thoughts about this? Yeah, I have a, I have a lot of thoughts about it. I bet you um, do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I mean, just before we start this, you know, like, I, I just want to say, like, we're three different women. We can all have three different points of view here, you know, so mm-hmm. I, I just want to say that before we start. But, you know, I can say um, I've been following this case very, very closely. And, um, you know, I can't claim to know Ellen Powell well, but, you know, I have had, I have, I've spoken with her. Um, and every time I've spoken with her, I found her to be a, a really sharp, remarkably, you know, just a remarkably savvy individual. And, you know, she seems from, you know, my interactions with her to be someone that is polite, but is someone that's also very direct and kind of very methodical about what she's doing. Um, and for me, these are traits that I very, very highly admire. Um, so in the limited exposure I've had to, you know, the venture capital world, it's really easy for me to imagine how someone like that, because of, you know, what we call unconscious bias would kind of be, you know, perceived to be kind of uppity or loud or, you know, it's, it, it seems like when you're a businesswoman, you have one of two choices. You can either kind of accept this role of being, a little bit more demure or, or kind of there, there's a tax some women take to like be less direct. Mm-hmm. And then there's some women that just, you know, go on full on and, you know, they're just themselves. This is the tack that I take, 
And it yeah. certainly leaves me with enemies sometimes. So um, I can say in following this trial very closely, um, you know, me and a lot of the women I know that are also following this trial, you know, we read her testimony and found it to be ridiculously credible. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really hope that this ends up going, you know, in her favor because I, to me, it seems like a very clear case of unconscious bias against this woman. Christina, I, I, yeah. I how do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, I feel kind of similarly, you know, I've never really had any interaction with her, I don't think, you know, she's the interim CEO of Reddit right now. And most Mm -hmm. people tend to think that she's probably, you know, after the trial ends, regardless of how it goes, she'll probably be made the CEO of Reddit, I think it's just interim for for time period. And I think they're just waiting to get some of, you know, this stuff um, out of the way. But you know, she was she was a junior partner at Kleiner Perkins. One of the biggest VC firms out there. And, um, you know, I think she makes a, a credible case, especially in, in the case where she was not put on the board of one of the companies that she really, um, led up and, and, and was, was, yeah. was cheering for and was, was the lead investor in because of her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so they put another person on the board, a man instead, and, and supposedly told her it was basically directly because of her pregnancy. I think that's one of the most credible pieces of evidence that they have. The problem with this whole case, unfortunately, is that um, it's a problem and it's not a problem. Um, I also find her very credible. But unfortunately, because she's a real person and because there was – she's not a perfect witness, so to speak. She's yeah. not the perfect plaintiff. She's got some real issues, you know, in terms of um, – you know, there was some messiness involving an affair with, with a colleague. Um, and there, there's some other issues that she had, you know, apparently, you know, she was keeping some sort of like chart of resentment about some of her issues with some of her other coworkers, which is perfectly fine to do and, and probably a very smart and, and healthy thing to do to keep track of your emotions and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it seems like there was, she's not a perfect plaintiff. There are definitely, it's not difficult for the defense to say she was maybe a squeaky wheel, maybe a problematic person. Um, and that, unfortunately, I has in some of the coverage, fortunately not a lot of it, but in some of the coverage, especially leading up to the trial, I think outweighed what the actual merits of the case are. So my, my hope is that the jury is going to actually look at the facts and not tear too much into, you know, the personal dramas. Right. We're not even her yeah. personality so much, but just the personal realities and dramas of working at a venture firm like this. Well, I was just going to add to that, Christina, and say, like, um, you know, I think you, one of the reasons I love you so much is because you are a real person. And I think you and I could both probably agree. If if someone wanted to go out there and make a case that I was Satan incarnate, you know, they would be able to go through my Twitter and my life and sure. make that case. And, you know, Agreed. the truth so is... Same with me. Exactly. Um, you know, the truth is, you know... Like you say, she's a real person. Like, we all make mistakes. And, yeah. you know, I I guess I would say about that, like, it's something I really struggle with is there are other women in my position of kind of being a public figure that choose to be hyper-messaged. And they're very deliberate about what they say, and they never say anything publicly mm-hmm. unless they've, like, run it past people. And they're kind of this distant figure. Um, you know, I've thought a lot about this and, you know, I feel like for me, I have to be myself. And like, if people are tweeting at me, Hey, Brianna, I like what you do. I try to be very responsive with them and talk back to Mm -hmm. them. So I feel like 
if you make that choice, and I feel like Ellen Powell has made that choice to kind of, you know, she puts herself out there, not so much with her, her social media, but I think you can see it in her, her interaction with, you know, her, her, you know, the people she worked with. Um, mm-hmm. I think it has this, this consequence of anyone being able to destroy you. I mean, do you, do you agree right. with that? Do you know? Yeah, it? exactly. Yeah. Because that kind of interaction for a man would be seen as being forthright and honest and right. Right. takes no bullshit. I, okay. The interesting thing that I, really want to talk about is how Mary Meeker, who now is currently working for Kleiner Perkins um, and was there when Ellen Powell was there, Uh has gone on the stand and said that there is no gender bias at Kleiner Perkins. Everything is dandy. And like her testimony referenced the fact that um, she, she talked about the position that she was in at Kleiner Perkins and how she felt content with what she had and what was offered to her. And this just... I think it's so important to talk about how different women have different opportunities and how women in higher positions of higher power really need to be looking out for ones who are coming in, especially people in the position that Ellen Powell was in coming in as a junior partner, um, whereas Mary Meeker came in um, on a, was it general partner level? Oh, gosh, Uh these venture capitalist words. Mary Meeker came in in a higher position. She had worked for Morgan Stanley before. She had a lot of contacts in the industry. And not surprisingly, she had a better experience at Kleiner Perkins than Ellen Powell. And she's using this position to talk about how there's no problem there. And no matter what you think about Ellen Powell, I think that we like there, we do need to look out for other women coming up in whatever industries we're in and know that people of different backgrounds like need support from higher places um i i guess i would say yeah this is this is the part where you know having a podcast means kind of being honest with your audience about your thoughts and feelings here so Go for you it. know i i'm gonna say some things here that could be controversial um look when you are a woman working in the workplace um it is really political and it can get yes. really political with women in your office sometimes. And I'm just trying to be honest. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's a dynamic with other women there. Um, you know, Randy mm-hmm. Harper, my friend was talking about this the other day. It's kind of F you, I've got mine. And you know, there's sometimes women yeah. that kind of learn to, to work in that environment and they, they tend to be very political by nature and you know, they make alliances and they get stuff done and they kind of don't raise a fuss about gender stuff. And, but they also don't really look out for other women, uh, you know, that work with them. Yeah. And, you know, um, if you look at my career professionally, I don't attack other women, period. I don't, I don't, I don't describe, I don't go after people. Mm-hmm. Even I don't, even ones I fiercely disagree with. So I don't, have any animosity towards this woman or her perceptions or experiences, but I, I feel like it's, it's not indicative of the entire, it's, it's a very specific use case. I mean, Christine, I wouldn't accuse her of anything, but I would say that she might be speaking from a position of complete obliviousness, just being, having been through. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, 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 no. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, 
I, I don't know. I think that what's interesting about this is I think it can be both, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think that there's yeah. a possibility where both of their situations, and I think this is probably the reality, yeah. where both of their situations are true. I think that it's fair to say that Mary Meeker, from her experiences, because of who she is and because, I mean, she's very well respected. Her reports are always on trend analysis, are always some of the best in the business, and she's right. extremely yeah. well respected. But she entered, she came into Kleiner hired out from Morgan Stanley as a big hire. That was a big get for them. Whereas yeah. Ellen Powell, despite, you know, having three undergraduate degrees before she became a junior partner, she was John Doerr's assistant. Um, that I think is actually more important. I was going to talk about this earlier. I think that's actually almost more important in some respects than it's been given. She was came mm-hmm. from a subservient kind of role where she didn't come into kind of even the traditional partner track. She was basically a glorified secretary and she then became you know, junior partner. And I wonder if that had anything to do putting all the gender stuff aside, which I, I, I think that that uh, there's there's evidence, at least from what we've seen, that there was certainly some issues. If that had something to do with the how, way she was viewed inside the company, um, you know, John Doerr said that he, he considered her, you know, yeah. like a daughter and, you know, he was very much her mentor. And um, <laughs> even that in and of itself is kind of bothersome to me to, to hear, you know, a man describe, you know, one of his co-workers yeah. as you know in, in a paternal yeah. way like that because i don't you don't often hear you know female co um you know uh, executives say you know he, oh he's like a son to me i'm not saying that can't happen i'm just saying that it's it, it, it's an odd sort of phrasing yeah. so i think that that there was definitely differences in, in what position they came in at i think that it's very possible that mary meeker knows how to play the game better and i think that that's actually a really important thing to note and, yeah. and, and again this is what i wasn't before i wasn't trying to criticize ellen powell for being a real person but i do think that it's unfortunate in this case that the situation becomes messier than maybe we would like it to be because that stuff gets brought into it um and that's not criticizing her at all it's just a reality of the situation but i also think a reality oh i completely agree yeah but i also think it's a reality that you know even though she from by all accounts came across very poised on the stand and and spoke very well of herself that there are it's almost indisputable that she had kind of a more prickly personality um whereas i think mary meeker probably because of her age and and her experience was coming in as um much more knowing how to play the game and me personally you know i tend to be more like you brie where I, i i am who i am but at the same time I do know there are certain places I'm not going to go and certain things I'm not going to do um, just because it's not advantageous with me for, for playing the game purposes. And I don't yeah. feel like I'm losing out on anything there. I feel like I'm being smart. Um, and and I, I, I guess the only way I would kind of disagree is I'm not fond of, I guess, getting down on women who rightly or wrongly we don't say is sticking up for other women and looking out for them. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you why. That would be great. And I think it's great when we can be supportive of one another. But frankly, mm-hmm. you know what? It's up to all of us ourselves to kind of get our own. Uh-huh. And I don't – I, I want to do what I can to support other women. But just because you're a woman doesn't mean – I'm not going to go as far as you, Brie, and not criticize another woman. I try to be careful when I do it. Uh-huh. But frankly, sometimes women are just as – they're bad people out there. And if you're bad at what you do – if anything, I get more offended because you make my gender look bad because now I'm right. being judged doubly. So in some cases, I feel like, you know, I agree with you guys where it's, it's it's difficult to see, you know, other women not sticking up for one another. But at the same time, I kind of wonder, well, maybe her experience was I don't really work with this person. I don't have any interaction with her. Our roles are different. And if she can't if she can't play the game, screw it. I'm not saying that that means that Ellen Powell doesn't have plenty of, of reason to be suing. Um, but I also understand 
that there could be an alternate perspective where you're at a really big firm and you don't have a lot of interaction with someone and you just see them as being like, well, you know what? If you can't play the game, it's not my job to teach you the rules. No, I, you know, Christine, I agree with everything Mm -hmm. you just said. And I think it's her prerogative. I was just going to say, you're, you're completely right that it does reflect that other women being incompetent does reflect badly on everyone. And that just, that is a really crappy truth of the world. And it makes me so angry that that double pressure comes down on women to be good at their jobs and be perfect. And just like, with this case, if Ellen Powell isn't perfect, it's going to reflect badly on all gender harassment cases. And that just sucks, period. And it's sexist garbage. <laughs> hey. I agreed. Yeah. But I see I totally I totally see what you're saying though. Yeah, yeah. that um that it, it isn't necessarily Mary Meeker's responsibility. But Yeah, yeah and I mean I I strongly agree with that. And I I, I think that you know, Christina, I wanna be clear. Like I, I I, I really see this as Mary Meeker being a product of kind of a a slightly different generation. I mean, when she was yes. kind of breaking into the system, there were different rules. And I've noticed that there is a, a huge difference in how women, you know, her age act versus how, you know, women I know they're 20, 25 act, you know. And sure. I just, I think it's, I, I, I don't have any animosity or resentment towards that. I think like, look, this is tough for all of us and anyone that gets success. I think that's awesome. And I I support you unilaterally. Um, I just, you know, I, I think it's dynamic. I I think the dynamics of this are complicated. And I think, I think girl drama in a professional setting is just the worst. And you (laughs) know, that's what makes it it very interesting to me that they brought Mary Meeker on like they're right. they're yes. obviously trying it, I, to play that girl drama angle not in between them personally but like Ellen Poe created the girl drama no and I was actually gonna say Samo to your point I, that's mm-hmm. that actually bothers me more than anything else it bothers me that Kleiner would call Mary Meeker to testify yeah, on behalf yeah, of them yeah. it bothers me that Mary Meeker has been basically del- she's been you know dismissed to the point she's been deluded to the point that all she can be is come on the stand and talk about what it's like to be a woman at Kleiner Perkins and and she's talking about how it's there's no better place than women to work there now obviously she works there they pay her a tremendous amount mm-hmm. of money what is she going yeah. to say the place that I work is sexist no she's not going yeah. to say that but it bothers me that she's basically been devalued to the point that her role in this trial is literally to be like see see it's good for me so it must yeah. be good yeah. for everyone because a that's not true a they can both both of their experiences can be accurate from mary meeker's perspective and from the people she works with maybe she maybe her perspective is it's absolutely a great place for women but it's not as if she and ellen really worked together you know from 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 my understanding so she didn't even really have any bearing on this other than to basically just refute the idea it bothers me that they the 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 kleiner perkins would basically take a very well-respected woman and make Mm -hmm. her be you know their cheerleader be their mascot because that sucks because she should be more than just the token woman who's you know well paid and and you know a general partner like she should be more than that and and that really bothers me honestly more than anything mary meeker could say because what are we expecting her to say do you agree with ellen powell no of course not yeah you know but but it bothers me that yeah as you said some of they're kind of trying to pit the two women against one another and the he said she said or she said she said battle Mm -hmm. and it's like they've got enough of the male partners and the people who were named in the suit and are part of it 
to speak, especially since, you know, one of the best things that came to, you know, uh, Ellen Powell's defense was that another uh, junior partner who had experienced similar issues, who Ellen did not get along with, who they did not yeah. like each other, testified, I think, the first day of the trial and basically backed up a lot of um, Ellen's yeah. testimony. Cool. And, 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 and that to me was actually more telling because those two, especially, in emails Ellen is and Ellen had not been very nice about this woman and she'd actually frankly been pretty bitchy um, a, a, about that woman and, and, and pretty negative about um, her experience and some other things and that woman had experienced some negative problems from one of the same men that that Ellen Powell was cited in this case and so you know showing a pattern of behavior so to me you know pulling out the big guns and pulling out someone who's experienced mm -hmm. as you guys both said is obviously going to be different when you come in at a position yeah. of power versus a junior partner working up the ladder it's just different whether you're male yeah. or female the rules are different for you to draw that person out and say oh this is how it and this is indicative of everyone because, frankly, Mary Meeker's experience at Kleiner is not going to be similar to most people. She came in as Definitely a rock not. star Right. She hire. came in at the top. Yeah. And this is a case about being able to penetrate that that top layer. So, exactly. yeah, I mean, it's like the ultimate case of not your shield, you know, like, <laughs> with, <laughs> at a very yeah. high level. Ooh. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess, Simone, I just want to turn it back to you and say, like, you know, I mean, how do you feel about this? Like, I mean, what's what's your read on the situation? Like Christina said, I think it's it's super messy. And from a perspective of a young woman in an industry that is male dominated, like I do hope that she wins or if she doesn't win, at least that she comes out of this with her character unscathed because I think that that is what will yeah. that's what will matter most for other women who file lawsuits like this in the future. Um I like you said I do, I do think that her claims are really credible. I I can't like thinking about that situation being a young woman in a firm that is mostly male with a few other women on top or in various positions. Like of of course there's going to be gender bias there. Of course there's going to be awkward parties where people are making inappropriate jokes or where you're just not invited like that that seems obvious to me as as a woman uh -huh. so i i just i hope that the jury also understands that um and i'm really interested I, obviously i'm invested in it i'm curious to see how it turns out yeah yeah i found that i found the story about um you know Christina, you were talking about stories you found very interesting from this. I found the one about Al Gore uh, being invited to, uh, yes. you know, basically they were having a function together party and her being specifically disinvited from that because she would like, what was the phrase, like affect the vibe or something like that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and they lived in the same building together and how embarrassing that was for her. Um, I just... You know, it's 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 situations like that that are easy for me to believe. You know, Christina, you brought up the dating situation. Um, I have to say, oh, I read that. Dating. Good uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, as I understand the story from what I read, you know, like basically this guy at the firm is married, keeps asking her out. She says, no, 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 no. He tells her that, um, you know, he's separated from his wife. Um, she agrees to date him. She finds out that he's lying about that and then you know she breaks it off and then it gets really hostile at the office i can mm -hmm. say even hearing that story that sounds it it, it sounded extremely credible and extremely believable yes. to me yeah. so 
No, I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and it, the, the gross thing there was that Ray Lane, who mm-hmm. has a terrible record on lots of things um, as, as an investor and as a board member, um, you know, he told her council holders basically saying, have dinner with him privately and see if you can work something out. You never know. You know, I met my second wife, know. you know, through oh, an affair and whatnot. Yeah. And, oh. and almost, you know, coming across as, well, maybe you can work this out or something. And then he said in his own testimony, yeah, this was a really awkward and uncomfortable situation for me. And frankly, it is. And and frankly, you know, look, everybody's got to take responsibility for their stuff. And I don't think there were any totally innocent parties in that situation. But obviously, it's just a messy, gross situation that you don't want to be involved in yeah. in a work situation where one of your superiors is, you know, somebody you used to, you know, date, especially when it ends in such a messy, gross yeah. way. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just it's unfortunate, period. Yeah. One of her complaints, I think, was that or she came forward and said, we need better a, an, a, a way to handle this with human resources. We need yeah. HR standards for this. And that response was shot down. Yeah. Um, which is un, which is unacceptable. I, I think. agree. I, mean, I think that yeah. I think that that's one of the one of the things that hurts Kleiner the worst is that they didn't have things like that in place where, yeah, you know what, if you got, get to be a company of a certain size, you need to have things like that in place because workplace romances do happen and they are awkward and oftentimes ugly. And, yeah. you know, you <sighs> need to have, have a way to dealing with that, especially if the people are going to be working together or interacting in some way and one of them is, you know, um, above the other. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think all that's well said. Uh, why don't we move on to topic number two? I feel like that was a very awesome discussion, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, I was thinking, I was sitting here going, I have a really small workplace. Thank goodness I can't have affairs with my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's okay. I sit on Courtney's lap a lot. I think she's going to fi- file a lawsuit against me any I was going to say. I shouldn't joke about that right, right after this discussion. But it's funny. Um, anyway, thank you. It is funny because I have <laughs> I love Courtney. And I'm young. I love Courtney. <laughs> I would sit I in her lap, too. too. If she worked at GSX, I would like, sorry, I'm the boss, but I'm sitting in her lap. <laughs> and she'd be now. used to it. She'd just yeah. roll with it because she's used to me. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'll just get up and dance in the middle of a conversation. <laughs> just, just another day in the life. So topic number two for today is the new Hello Barbie from oh Mattel God. that yeah. can you can... It'll, you can talk to it. You can have conversations with it like you would with Siri. And it will remember your conversations because it has Wi-Fi and it will store your conversations in the cloud. And she will learn to love what you love and talk to you about it. And also this data will be saved and analyzed by the people um, working on the on the toy so that they can improve mm. the algorithms <laughs> of speech. Uh, yes. So that Barbie will be able to have even better lifelike conversations with you. It's like it's. That's my. It's like Funzo. That's my picture. <laughs> you guys remember, do you, do you guys remember Funzo from The Simpsons? Yes. It's like the toy that could be oh, everything. Oh, that like is they, genius. Oh, my Funzo. God. It's Funzo. This is Funzo, oh but in the real world. Like, you know, if, if, if people listening at home don't recall, it's an episode of The Simpsons. One of my favorite episodes, The Girly Show, where uh, basically these toy marketers decide to listen in on what kids want from a toy in, in a, in a um, you know, um, what what are those things called? Test marketing environment or whatever. They're like watching them behind a two-way glass and they are two-way mirrors. And 
you know, build this toy around everything they want and, and uh, want it to, to meet all of their commands. And then, you know, the funzos wind up getting um, the, the data gets turned and they end up turning on everyone and, and attacking <laughs> the town people. Um, this sounds like that's what that's this, this sounds like the, the natural um, progression of that. Definitely. I think that this time next year, we can look forward to Barbie ruling our every town. Um, <laughs> probably a better Wi-Fi. I bet she'd take care of that. Do you she think probably Barbie would. will be a, a good ruler? Do you think she'll be a, 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 she a, has priorities. She, a generous She can do anything, Brie. She can do whatever she, can, she wants. She can. She's that was the Barbie. That was their their tagline in the eighties, uh, Simone. It was called We Girls Can Do Everything. And exactly. we girls can do anything, right, Barbie? And um it was it was actually a pretty great campaign which cool. made their whole mm-hmm. issue with the computer programmer Barbie book so disappointing for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> um because I love Barbie. And you know what? I love Barbie so much and I hate that I'm constantly having to like learn about all these terrible things that Barbie is doing because I truly loved my Barbie dolls as a kid. And I'm one of the few women who doesn't have a problem with her body image or size or any of that because yeah. I never looked at her and thought that she was supposed to be an ideal. I just thought she was a doll that I put mm-hmm. clothes on. And, and You said you're sad to learn about uh, bad stuff that Barbie's doing now. So do you think that this new uh, talkative Barbie is bad? Well, it's what just so think? controversial. I don't know. I mean, I don't like the idea of it having storing your kids' conversations in the cloud somewhere that could maybe then be hacked and used by people and i also don't like the idea of having a toy that has like a built-in marketing team to i don't know mm-hmm. there's just something about it that gives me the creeps can, can they I have say something about the, this yeah go for it i mean so i read this story and you know i have to admit like i'm a software engineer so i start breaking down this problem as a software engineering problem you know siri has gotten a lot better at speech recognition over the time i've i've owned it because they do they do take that data and they refine the data and you know i I would imagine like when you're doing dictation and you end up like altering words to what you want it to be i would imagine Mm -hmm. that data goes to apple and they're refining it so well and then people listen to what your dictations are too and they're able to match them it was this right or was that this wrong especially when you tag it as no that wasn't correct right you know there's a human layer involved so yeah you're right it gets better over time so what i was thinking with this barbie situation is there are a lot of ways you could implement this i mean the need to like save that data and like perfect it is a valid engineering concern and Mm -hmm. also there are ways to like you know animize the data that is coming your way like you could you know researchers do this all the time like they'll run Mm -hmm. all their test subjects through an algorithm so there's no way to match you know what the individual person is with Mm -hmm. the actual things that are being recorded and then they can have this data in mass to you do things and refine you know the toys that they're putting out there which honestly sounds like a good play testing you know solution to mm-hmm. me so yeah i would i would um, be surprised if that wasn't what they were doing right to be honest no. they said that they had lots of privacy stuff i think what bothers me is that parents can get that audio sent to them in a weekly email oh that, that actually bothers me, me way more. okay that okay i'll take back everything more. i just said It honestly bothers me significantly more that that data could be sent to parents on demand than the fact that it could be anonymized on a server somewhere because that that I'm with Bree. That's an engineering challenge and that has a lot of good uses. It feels a little creepy and they're probably not selling, they're probably not 
you know, selling the benefits the right way. It's, it's so that that's where my cynicism early on comes in. But I can see that that would be valid. I don't like the fact that parents can get a recording of what their kids are saying to their dolls because yeah. Yeah. a lot of kids, especially in abusive situations and other things, talk to their toys as a way right. of getting exactly. out their feelings. You don't want those things then shared with them where they're spying on their kids. Your toys should toys shouldn't be facilitating a way for parents to to I don't know. I, I don't like that. At no, all. I don't like yeah, that at you all. Know. Yeah. Because toys uh, are a safe space. Toys should be a safe space. It's and just, I feel like that's it's no. it's like exactly. you said, I remember being a child, Christina, and, and doing exactly that. Like I remember making stop motion um films with my Legos and like yeah. you know, making stories and kind of getting out my own feelings that way. I remember walking through the den and watching my parents like watching these videos that I'd made you know, for me and being just horrified by it because I felt yeah. like those were my feelings in my space. And yeah, so I'm, I'm totally on board with you. I, I did not know that Simone. I, I yeah, just flipped from being on board today. with it to being a hundred percent against it. Yeah. So. No, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. so funny, but I am so much more positive about the idea of a, a complete stranger analyzing it because they're not Completely. going to have a personal connection. Because they the don't child. know They're you. purely exactly. using it to improve the technology. Whereas a parent who is influencing that child's daily life, like, Children do need a space to be alone and to grow and to to know themselves and right. to take that away from them in a way that they might not understand. Like a five or six year old isn't going to know that that data is going to anyone, much less to their parents, who, like you said, right. Christina, could be not great people. And even if they were good people, like children should be respected just like adults would, and they should have exactly. that space. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, to my, to my earlier example where I'm, I, you know, I, I was joking, but I wasn't actually being flipped, you know, a way that a lot of us, a lot of young girls, especially, um, you know, explore their sexuality is through dolls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How gross, I mean, honestly, like, I wouldn't want my mom to Ew. know the sorts of screwed up stuff I did oh with my Barbie God. dolls. Like, yeah. I really didn't. Like, yeah. honestly, yeah. like, I did yeah. some screwed up stuff with my Barbie dolls, but that was how, like, my burgeoning, like, sexuality was kind of developed. You know what I mean? Like, that, yeah. and, and that's yeah. true for a lot of, a lot of, of girls. Of course, of course. And, and to me, I mean, God, that would just be, especially if you, you know, the kids aren't going to know about it. I can't even imagine, you know, how does that conversation go? Oh, I heard you talking to your doll about this. Like, that's just, uh, I don't That's know. a I don't special like kind of messed up. I agree. I definitely agree with that. I mean, yeah. uh, I you know, if we could take like a bit of an earlier conversation for it. You know, Christine, I'm very much in agreement with you. Um, well, it, it's like I agree with your opinion, but I understand and respect people that have a different opinion about it. Yes. Like I, I remember at GDC this year, um, after my panel, I was sitting down with – uh, like a group of people and we were talking about like body image and video games and there was a girl that actually started crying this is like mm-hmm. a well not a girl she's like a 35 year old developer and she started mm-hmm. crying about how tough it was for her growing up to only see her body type like represented by ursula in the little mermaid mm-hmm. and how much that mm-hmm. hurt her and i have empathy for that but like yes. for me personally i for brianna it's like they can make barbie however they want to it doesn't affect my feelings towards her i feel the same way i I mean and i don't want to diminish you know the impact it can have on other people i do sometimes feel like it's overblown i do feel like sometimes i agree i I, because i I feel like there are so many other signals out there that can have that same impact even more so whereas i think that a lot of times i would i would be curious to know if as a child, if the Barbie itself was hurting her, if it was all the other images, because I think most of the time kids are just looking at them as toys and not as realistic, you know, um, 
you know, figures that, that represent, you know, actual people. I almost feel like it's something that piles on because, I mean, if you're seeing that everywhere else and then you come home and you pick up your Barbie, that is just another representation of that. I think that that does build up and hurt. Uh, Again, that's not my personal experience. What I would like is just more variety in the first place because if it was there, then maybe – maybe this particular example wouldn't be such – maybe Barbie wouldn't be such a sort of – um. A dead horse to be sure, and for I get, lack of a better word. And I understand that, although at the same time, I also understand the reality that it's hard to make toys where you have clothing that's available in different sizes for everybody. You know what I mean? I mean, part of Barbie is she's a fashion doll. You buy clothes for her. You put her in different outfits and different scenarios. And, you know, mm-hmm. to me, I always looked at it as a fantasy and in no way representative of anything else. And so I, I get it and I agree that the more diversity would be great. It would be good not to have this image. Yeah. But I also feel like there's... I don't know. I feel like it's it's become like the go-to punching target for everything about this is what's wrong with feminism is Barbie. And I feel like that's so completely false yeah. because I loved my Barbies and I felt, you know, empowered by them and loved them. Yeah, for sure. But I do think that going back to your earlier point about Barbie being a fantasy, that fantasy of, you know, Barbie being thin and fashionable and lovely can become harmful and dangerous when you internalize that and you – change your you try to change your own body to become that i do agree that like blaming barbie for everything wrong with body image is very lazy and i think that uh, we should be more nuanced in our critique of the media that's aimed at women but i do think that at at some level fantasies like that uh fantasy figures like that can be harmful i i think you know i'm someone who's i've had a lot of professional blowback on this exact subject and I mean, you know, Simone, you and I both love anime. I, I love anime. I draw, I, I yeah, learned to draw by importing Sailor Moon books from Japan and obsessively drawing <laughs> Sailor Moon to the point my mom sent me to a psychologist at one point. Like, I love <laughs> anime. And, you know, the truth is, like, an anime figure, if you drew an anime figure with human proportions, you know, she just wouldn't look as beautiful. And it's just art. Like, right. I don't know why it doesn't translate, but it's like this idealized, different art style. And, like, if you look at the Sailor Moon characters, they would have freakish body <laughs> images if it was real life. <laughs> um, I I feel like with Barbie, like, I, I have to be honest when I see things like clickbait saying, like, ooh, if Barbie were a real person, here's what she would look like. I kind of roll my eyes because it's an that. art choice. Yeah. And I think that exactly what I would like to see with Barbie is just a a marketing thing. If there were like more Barbie characters besides just, you know, Skipper and, you know, like I would like to see body Barbie have friends with different body types and then give the consumer a choice. Yeah. Um, But I think that I, I don't know. I don't think it's like any one body type is the problem. I think it's the lack of diversity. And I think that's the problem. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I think as well. And like uh, kids love to collect stuff. So, yeah, make make a bunch of different models, have them all. I mean, that's if you're like, look at Skylanders. Kids will spend tons and yeah. tons of money collecting, not kids, but make their parents spend tons and tons <laughs> of money collecting all the models of Skylanders. Right. There's no reason that you couldn't keep the that's traditional true. Barbie and, you know, not have to make all the fashion fit different sizes but make a bunch of different ones with their own different thing going on that's true love skylanders you guys I we love gotta it. talk skylanders <laughs> 
So this episode of Rocket is brought to you by lynda.com, which is an online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your skills, business skills, tech skills, creative skills. And you can get a free 10-day trial if you visit lynda.com slash rocket. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash rocket. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited. This week we're, um, I have, so I'm on vacation this week and I'm just like, oh, oh, people at my office, like, I'm just giving them work as I'm walking out the door. So like, Don't bother me <laughs> while I'm at, 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 at uh, you know, Disney this week. So I have someone in my office and she wants to learn how to do uh, web pages. And she's actually using Linda to learn CSS right now. So I cannot wait to get back to the office nice. on Tuesday and look at her work and see what she's come up with. So I don't know. It's just, it's awesome. It's a lot cheaper than sending her to like a $2,000 CSS class. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to do the same thing with Courtney, who um, is my intern. No, uh, <laughs> Courtney ends up doing so much of the web maintenance stuff because we really? don't have an in-house web maintenance person. So we had Brad for a while. And um, every time something goes wrong, she has to email out to Brad and be like, Brad, what's going going on and a lot of the stuff she like she can do it she just has to learn it on her own and i think that that would be a great um use of her time because it's yeah linda has this great course called brad and you should just take that so you can master (laughs) brad and then you'll have all become bradley stafford it it, all right it's one of their best-selling classes actually yeah brad college yeah (sighs) wow So, yeah, thank you, Linda, for sponsoring this week of the podcast. Again, you can get a 10-day free trial by going to lynda.com slash rocket. You should totally do it. Go learn the things that you've always wanted to learn but have never had the time or money to do. And, yeah, that's me. Love, Linda. Love Love it. it. Oh, my God. Guys, I'm reading right now that Donatello from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has died. What? Oh, my God. Yeah, like like the, like 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 they the actor, him. the voice actor. No, oh, they do they killed, killed the him character. off like in the comics? What? Yeah, they did. TMNT in the comics 44. or the show? In the uh, comics. Oh my god! And it was actually written by uh, Kevin Eastman. Wow. 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 I think we're gonna have to Shoot. read about this and find out some more stuff. So, yeah, but uh, I guess talking about pop culture, do you want to take us into topic number three? Yeah, yeah. So this week there was a lot of wonderful Twitter drama surrounding a variant cover of the Batgirl comic. Uh, basically, they're doing a bunch of, for DC Comics, they're doing a bunch of Joker variant covers where the Joker is you know, coming in and screwing stuff up. And the Batgirl one uh, referenced the killing joke by having uh, the Joker hold Barb at gunpoint and... um she she on the cover she's being held at gunpoint with the joker behind her and she's crying and looking very scared and people were understandably upset because the current batgirl is a very you know it's a girl power for lack of a better word that that sounds so trite but it you know girl power is fun barb is or it's is great it it's fantastic yeah she's yeah. awesome yeah. so this was very tonally different from what readers are looking for and um there was a lot of backlash for that and then the artist who drew the cover Raphael Albuquerque he apologized and recommended that DC pull it which they did and um so now there is more drama going on Mm. about censorship and how it's ruining art 
And I actually, I found his apology really, really respectful. Like he, he drew something that he thought was a, a cool reference to a vintage comic at the time. And then he realized that it was hurting people. And um, he was very, very cool about it. And I, I just loved that reaction from him. I thought it was really mature and wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally understand the the complaints because like, oh my God, comic book stores are unfriendly enough for teenage girls right. and women as it yeah. is. So going yeah. in and yeah. seeing that is like, what? And plus like the reference was, you can see it, but if you're not intimately familiar, it doesn't really come across well. And it's not so well known that I would expect the majority of the audience or the readership to even get it. Yeah. So it just, yeah. it, so you know what I mean? So it, I would understand the censorship argument more if this were like a really, really, really well-known cover, if it were something that like everybody knew immediately what, what it was referring to. And then you could kind of mm -hmm. make the argument, oh, you know, people are just being too um, serious about stuff. And sometimes that's the case. I, I think sometimes people jump on the gun too, too unnecessarily. But in this case, you know, I think that there was, you know, you look at it and you're going, Oh wow, because I was no, I have no idea what the original comic it was referencing is, and I look at it, I'm just going, oh, this is this is sort of disturbing, actually. You know, this yeah. is not, yeah, this is this is not cool. Well, um, I think I think the Killing Joke is pretty well known. I mean, it's it's on many lists for being one of the best comics ever written. I don't agree is, with that but for yeah, sure. Yeah. But I think okay. that for Batgirl, DC is trying to reach out to new readers and Batgirl is one of those titles that is reaching out to readers that haven't necessarily been into comics before, teenage girls. Not that teenage girls have never, ever been into comics, but it's been largely inaccessible. So to reference something so that, that is classic, but also a lot, it comes from a darker DC canon I think it's not something that new readers would get and it can be seen as very off-putting. So, you so know, I, I understand that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, when this controversy broke out, I knew people were going to be asking me about it. So um, I actually, I went back and I, I, I hadn't read The Killing Joke since like 1994 mm -hmm. or whatever. So I bought it and I, I read through it again. I was, I was really struck by some things. Um, so this comic, if you don't know, it... It, what happens is the Joker in Batman, it kind of starts with, you know, Batman meeting the Joker at Arkham Asylum and saying, we need to talk this out or we're going to kill each other. Um, Joker ends up escaping and what he does is he shows up at Commissioner Gordon's house. Um, Barb opens the door. He shoots a bullet through her spine, crippling her. Um, and then like strips her naked and takes all these pictures of her naked and, you know, like, like her body and spine broken in effort to drive, you know, Jim Gordon insane. Um, what was really striking and horrible about this story to me wasn't the violence. It was that it didn't talk about her feelings in any way whatsoever. She was mm -hmm. just something that was meant to suffer to make the men feel pain. Um, and it yeah. really focused on Jim Gordon and Batman because of that. Um, so, you know, that is one of the reasons why I kind of disagree and I don't find this story to be one of the best ones ever made. Um, as far as like the censorship argument, like, you know, I do art for a living, you know, it's 3d art. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say like, I looked at this cover, I thought it was beautifully well done. It evoked an emotion. Yes. You know, Christina used the word, wow, that's kind of rapey when we were discussing it. And I definitely agree with that. But I think as a work of art, it made me... It's beautifully done. Yeah, it made yeah, me feel yeah. real emotion. Um, 
would I personally have like demanded to change this? It's it's just like Barbie. Like I personally don't have a problem with it, but mm-hmm. I understand the people that do, and I'm happy we can have a conversation about it. Does does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And I I like the response as a precedent for for pulling art. I think it was very it was very respectfully done, and yes. I think they handled it really well from a, a PR standpoint. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I would have had more of a problem. I would have had an issue if it had been pulled and the, and the artist had not been okay with it being pulled. Yeah. That's when I probably would have drawn the line and I would have said, you know what, this really is censorship. But when yeah. the artist is saying, I understand the criticism, I understand what – this is what I was trying to do. I understand that didn't come across and that, and that people could be hurt by it. I don't want that to happen. Please pull it. Then I think at that point – you know, it behooves mm-hmm. us all to re- to respect the artist and, re- and respect his choice. In this case, he's saying, I would like it pulled. So to me, I feel yeah. like if he hadn't been the one who had kind of said that, then that would have been, I wouldn't have been in favor of just the change the cover meme being the reason to change the cover. I actually would personally would, would not have been in favor of that. But when the author, when the artist himself is saying, please pull it and let's do something else, um, I feel like that's completely – I think that that's great that he had that response and that that should be, you know, um, respected. Yeah. I, I yeah. definitely agree. Can I say something about the censorship argument here? Um I, I, I feel like the core the, that the people yelling about censorship don't understand is just how much comics are built from the ground up to kind of appeal to their sensibilities. And, right. you know, when I go into a comic store, comic book store, like, look at Rev 60. I love hot, gorgeous women. I do. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I do. I, yeah. do. I do. I do. I do. Um, you know, but still, even liking images of sexualized women, I feel tremendously uncomfortable in a comic book store because you have, like, statues of women that aren't powerful. They're kind of like for the male gaze. And, right. you mm-hmm. know, the covers are boobs and bullets and... It's it's so hostile. And I think that what what the people screaming censorship don't understand is, yes, this is art, but it's kind of done from this unknowingly male point of view. Like this story that Alan Moore wrote, it is such a dude writing a story kind of thing. Like I said, because Batgirl isn't a character in it. You know, Batman Mm -hmm. is the character. Jim Gordon is the character. And it's like these you have been catered to for so long that you are literally blind to how this stuff makes other people feel. It's really easy to yell about censorship when, you know, you were the one always being served by this art, you know, like there was some Mm -hmm. feminist cover with like, I don't know, like Batman being humiliated, like stripped down in some way by like some evil feminist character. And just the thought of that makes me so uncomfortable. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, that would, that's something that just would never happen. So I, I guess it's important to note the double standard. You know, that said, yes. I want to be very clear, I would not have chosen to ask for this cover to be changed. I think that the fear, it, it's funny to me when people scream censorship and stuff like this because the fear ultimately uh, in cases of like um, the Spider-Woman cover where she was presented in a very sexual way. I think it was like one of those great backbreaking poses where she was face down and butt out but boobs out at the same time. It was very complicated and wonderful. Um, But you know, I like that cover. I I like that cover. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't. uh. But anyway, (laughs) regardless of how you feel about it, 
if that cover is taken away, there are no less boobs in the world, really, <laughs> for us to enjoy. The, right. There's still boobs out there for us to look at and gaze upon and be enamored with. And no matter how many, I mean, this cover being pulled, the Spider-Woman cover from before being pulled, that doesn't really affect, I think, the 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 great uh, mass of of boobs for our enjoyment <laughs> in this world, for lack of, you know, better phrasing just all over. Like, people who cry about single instances like this, I think, just fail to see, like you said, how everything is boobs. Always. Couldn't agree more. Christina, what were you going to say I was, there? Yeah. I was actually going to say the exact same thing. I was actually fun enough. I was going to make the same Probably point. Probably more say, eloquently than me, though. <laughs> no, no, I, no, not at all. No, I was just going to say that, no, I mean, exactly. It's not as if there's not a plethora of other, you know, hot covers or menacing covers or, or yeah. other things out there that can that can um, stifle that audience. It's not as if we're getting rid of the genre. So yeah. having an issue with this because of, the, because of, of who – Batgirl is now because of the context, because of uh, the other things and the, and the imagery it represents. It it's not taking away from anything else. And also, I would say I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I feel like it's one thing to criticize and critique the cover of a piece of work. I would actually be much more, I think, um, troubled if they were actually trying to get panels or parts of the book itself changed. Yeah. But to me, the cover is just one part of it. You know, to me, it, yeah. it, if it would be one thing, if they were trying to change the narrative structure in any way, that would, that would to me would be a much more, um, like, that would be a much better argument for censorship than, yeah. than the cover. I agree. I and, agree. The, like, no, there was no, I don't recall, I, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think there was, like, a petition or anything. It was just people being upset about it and then, then them deciding. And that, I don't think, is the textbook definition of censorship like people complaining about something and having a problem with it is just normal and depending it's on the internet experiences yeah. yeah like and i love the way that they handled it and i would i would relive again that decision <laughs> i i think i think asking an industry that has for what 50 years now been tremendously hostile to women in ways it doesn't yeah. understand. Um, and not that great to like, you know, like, you know, people of color either. Um, no. I, I think that asking that industry to look at itself is not censorship. And yeah, I think yeah. that's what we're trying to do is we're trying, you know, I, I forget what the exact number was, but it was like 49% of comics readers these days are women. That is amazing. Right. And yeah, it fantastic. like books like Batgirl, which by the way is freaking amazing. I love this so this Batgirl. Um, you know, asking people to consider a different viewpoint is not censorship. Like that's normalization. Yeah. So, you know. Definitely. Yeah. That's I think I read a great quote from Shonda Rhimes the other day where she was talking about having diverse casts in her shows and uh, mm-hmm. there are a lot of women, a lot of women of color, a lot of men of color, et cetera, et cetera. And she said that's not diversity what i'm doing is not diversity what i'm doing is normalizing television mm-hmm. because this is what the world looks like yes and i think that yeah that's totally dead on awesome so i've got I to do isometric quote. so let's can we finish up the okay show? I've got, yeah I've yeah got minutes, so what are you doing so. this week brie uh i am on vacation so i've got a very important business meeting at universal studios tomorrow um i've got a really important meeting with harry potter 
on Sunday, and then I've got another meeting at Universal Studios. So that is what I'm doing. Uh, um, you know, being more serious, uh, I got invited to do some documentaries, which I'm participating in. I'm going and speaking at two colleges, and I'm going to get Rev 60 PC out the door. We're um, we're going to have some yes. updated models of a holiday and unknown very soon. I am really so. Can as long as we're talking about Batgirl. Can I tell you, her changed costume was a huge inspiration for the change of where Holiday is going. Uh, you know, it's like, you guys know I ride a sports bike, so I know a lot about, like, you know, sports bike armor, which really influenced the the look of Batgirl's costume. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took a lot of those same ideas and implemented them in Holiday's new costume. So nice. I can't wait to show that to people. That's so cool. Hey. And Christina, what are you up to? Well, um, just uh, kind of still recovering from recovering, um, meerkatting yeah. my ass off, recovering, but meerkatting my ass off, which we didn't even talk about. Oh, we should have. Oh, the big craze to take over everything, meerkat, meerkatting my butt off. Um, and then what I'm actually really looking forward to, this isn't until next week, so we'll talk about it next week, but I'm going to see Bob's Burgers live <gasps> next Wednesday oh my in God. Washington, D.C. Wow. So I'm so excited. That is so cool. Yeah. How do they do that live? I don't know. They're going to have all the voice actors there kind of doing like a live show thing. So I couldn't get tickets when it was in New York. They were sold out. So um, my husband and I are taking the train to D.C. to go see it. We're so excited. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. All right. And this week I am still working on videos. Uh, I'm getting that Girls Make Games interview out the door, which – did I talk about that last week? I got no, to interview no, no. two of the participants of Girls Make Games, which is a summer camp. Uh, where they teach girls programming and uh, game design and art and stuff. And I got to interview two of them at PAX East, and it was so Amazing. much fun. They're so articulate and wonderful. So I'm getting that interview out the door and um, watching a lot of anime as When are we going to do an anime show, Simone? I want to do an we anime do. show. We do. We need uh, to have an anime show. When Haikyuu comes back from the war, uh, when I make you all watch volleyball anime. Or maybe after bicycle anime ends and I'm broken and crying and you guys need to pick me up. Okay. Show me okay. a good time. Okay. All right. I, I cool. know we've talked about this. Have we watched Melancholy? Have you seen Melancholy of uh, Haruhi Suzumiya? I haven't. I haven't finished uh, Melancholy okay. of Haruhi Suzumiya. I, it's on the list. It's coming okay. up soon. I for am me. going to send you an iTunes copy of that or something. So just as a like, <laughs> you've got to watch this because it's so awesome. I I'm think it's on Netflix. All right. I, I do have. Yeah. Is so it on I Netflix? Don't... Oh my god. Okay. I'll let you know. If it's on Netflix, then I totally need to watch it, too. It really is good, Christy. Are you into anime? Okay. I can be. You can be? I mean, I'm I'm not opposed. Well, I'm not opposed to it. I've never really gotten into it, into it, but I'm not, uh, like, not against it. I mean. So I I want for you to imagine a character that's basically you. Like, that is who. I'm there. uh, Yeah, that's who Harushi is. So, yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, there's sorry, a website called Rabbit where you can uh, watch, you can like screen share with people and watch stuff along with them, and it's really fun. And uh, you guys maybe should watch Haruhi Suzumiya. We should. Rabbit. We should. Yeah. Uh, so Brianna, where can we find you online? Space Cat Gal. <laughs> on the Twitter. <laughs> on the Twitter machine. On, on the everything. Or just Everywhere. read the news. Uh, <laughs> I committed to three documentaries this week, so um, nice. like, I gotta tell you guys, you're that, kind of a big deal. No, you're kind I'm of not. I'm not. But so you are. I, we love you. Uh, thank you. Uh, no, there's a, a documentary crew that. Did you guys hear me talking about like doing the the dorm uh, Natalie Dormer hair, like having a shave what? one side of my head like she did? I'm I'm committing to it. I'm gonna make it happen. 
one. Nice. So we have a documentary crew coming down for, uh, I think it's the CBC that's going to film me doing that. So oh, nice. Very cool. <laughs> no, is that gonna... weird? Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's freaking awesome. I'm filmed... the Natalie Dormer hair. <laughs> it is awesome. It takes a brave woman to pull off. Come on. Awesome. You know I can pull that off. You know I can yes, pull that off. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. You can totally All pull right. that off. 100%. It... If I can't, talk to me after the show and, and let me know. So. <laughs> no, you can totally pull that off. You can totally pull that off. All right. All right. Um, I could not pull that off, nor would my mother would kill me. She would. I, I'm 32 years old, and she would kill me. Um, but but I wouldn't even try. But I'm a film underscore girl on the Twitters, and you can find my work at Mashable.com. I am at Doom Quasar on the Twitters, and you can find my work at Pixelkin.org. And thank you for joining us again. And thank you to Linda, our sponsors. We love them. Yeah, we love them. <laughs> so. <laughs>